we're actually going to be looking at the fifth command today, which means we're halfway through this sermon series, which also means that we're halfway through Pastor Jason's sabbatical. If you're new here, you may not know that our lead pastor, Jason Lancaster, is on sabbatical. Um, I got together with him for the first time of his sabbatical this week, and I said, what do you want to say to Emerson Bible Fellowship? And he had two things to say. The first I will quote, and the second I will paraphrase. First, he said he's praying for you all. And then the paraphrase, hearing Jason's heart for you, he wants you to know that the kingdom of God is real. And he wants you to pursue God's kingdom and its realities and not the falsehood and lies of this world, especially in this turbulent time. So that's the word from your lead pastor. I also want to encourage us all to keep praying for him, that he will continue to rest, that he will be able to reflect well in the book of Revelation as he prepares to to preach that to us this upcoming year, and that he will return ready for the task at hand. So let's go to the word, Lord, in prayer. Father, we do pray for Pastor Jason. We pray that you will be with him. May he sense your presence in a real way. May he rest well. And Father, now for us, I pray that we will um, hear your word, that it will move from our head to our heart, to our hands. We trust that your word does not return void. And Father, we pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the oldest preacher in this series and the one who is speaking on the family, I've decided to put you all in a timeout. So consider yourselves in a timeout from the Ten Commandments series. You know, whether or not you believe in timeouts time as a parenting method, we all know what they're for. They're, they're to gain perspective, and they're a chance to regroup. And that's what I want us to do in the middle of the series, is I want us to, to regain perspective on what exactly is happening here. I want us to step back and look at the whole message of the Bible and remind ourselves of the really big picture. That's what I want to do before we dive in the text. Now, you've got to be with me because I'm doing something very ambitious. This is going to take a little bit of a long time. We are going to be in a timeout for a while because I want to look at all of salvation history. And I have one assignment for you in this process of looking at salvation history. Your assignment is this. See if you can see any type of theme developing as we look at God's relationship with man. So you with me? You're in a timeout. Let's dive in. Well, we're going to start all the way at the beginning, in eternity past. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, living together in perfect community, in perfect right relatedness, in perfect relationship. And out of this relationship, God decides that He is going to create a world that will relate rightly to Him. And so what does He do? He speaks the world into existence. Light and darkness, the stars, space, water, Animals, land. And then he makes man and woman. And he breathes into them. And he makes us in his image. And he makes us to relate rightly to him. And to relate rightly as we rule over creation. Caring for creation. And as, as Kyle talked about last week, it was very good. It was Sabbath rest in that garden. It was the way it was supposed to be. Well, let's fast forward all the way over to the other end of history. 
when God himself is going to say, the dwelling place of man is with God, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, and we will be in a city, the new Jerusalem, with God forever. And it's going to be the way it's supposed to be. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering. Revelation 21, and what I'm quoting from, got me through something big this week. I injured my back back in 1991. I thought I could block a defensive end and a linebacker at the same time, and it didn't work. About every two, two or three years or so, my back goes out, and it goes out for about a month, and it's a bad deal. And of course, my back went out about two weeks ago. So I decided to be an adult about it this time and get an MRI and figure out what is going on. So on Tuesday, I went to get an MRI. And I went in and I put on the one-size-fits-all robe, which is not one-size-fits-all. <laughs> I went and walked down the hall feeling very exposed. I sat on the slab and they slid me into the tube for the MRI. The problem was my head got in the tube, but my shoulders didn't fit. And they kept clunking. Three times they clunked up against it. I thought, well, they're going to have to get a bigger tube. No, the tech went back. He talked to another tech. They brought three techs in. They grabbed my shoulders and they shoved me into the tube. (laughs) I've never felt more like sausage being put into whatever the sausage holder thing is. So I had about 15 seconds of sheer terror followed by 36 minutes of thinking about Revelation 21 and looking at the little bit of fluorescent light that was sticking out the end. And I got through. But here's what got me through. There's going to be no MRIs in heaven. <laughs> but there aren't. There's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more need for that. And that's, that, that is what got me through. I, but, but more than that, I really think the joy of heaven is going to be so much more about relationship. You see, we're going to be restored to each other. They say there's no marriage in heaven. You know why? Because we're going to be in such right relatedness with each other that it's not going to matter. It's going to be the way it's supposed to be. In the city as it was in the garden, we will have rest. We will be restored to God and to each other. And it will be very, very good. But if you've been a Christian for a while, you understand and know that the sojourn between the garden... And the city is a long, long one. And that's what I want to focus on. I want to focus on the space between. And as we cover this, this space again, I want you to capture this theme of God's heart for right relatedness with us and with creation. We all know that rest and relationship abrupts, endly, abrupts endly, endly, ends abruptly <laughs> when God and Eve succumb when Adam and Eve succumb to temptation and choose to follow themselves instead of following God's design. And what happens? Immediately, perfect relationship is transformed into hiding, into shame, into lies. Our sin separates us from a perfect God, doesn't it? But it separates us from each other. You see, the world's no longer safe. We're not, we're, we're alone. We're scared. And all of creation has been marred by this tragedy. But the beautiful thing is God doesn't sit by idly, does he? He he does not leave us or forsake us. No, what does he do? Immediately he puts into into play a redemptive rescue mission. God is going to restore right relatedness to us between himself and his creation. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't give up. He acted. And what does he do? In the last 
A few chapters later, what do we see him doing? God calls Abraham and promises to bless all the nations through him and his descendants. And we see God build Abraham into a nation. And he promises to bless all the nations through, all the nations through that nations through that nation. And also, he is going to show all the nations the way to relate rightly with God through Israel. In the very next book of the Bible, the one we're in, we see God delivering Israel from slavery in Egypt. And during their journey to their new land, what do we see happen? God enters into a covenant relationship with his people. He gives them the law. And you know what the law is? The law is his blueprint for restoring and maintaining right relationship with him. God then goes before them and gives them the land that he promised them. What does he do in the land? He sets up his temple and provides a way for his people to come to him and experience his presence and be in relationship with him. He gives them the priests to represent him and provide a way for them to remain in right relatedness with God and with each other. And when they falter, what does he do? He sends his prophets to call them back to him. Well, I hope you see it. I hope you're catching that right relatedness matters to God. It's really the heart of the story of the Bible. Right relatedness is precious to him. And look at how precious it really is as we continue in the salvation story. Really in the climax of salvation history, we see God displaying all of his power and all of his grace. You see, the nation of Israel is just like us, a fallen and sinful people who are not able to fully keep their end of the deal. Just like Israel, we can't fully and completely follow God's law. We can't fully restore right relatedness with him. We're still under judgment. So what did God do? He acted. And he sent a man named John the Baptist to declare the way of the Lord. And John described one who would, be, who would come and would fulfill all of God's requirements set out in the law. He would provide a way for reconciliation and for right relatedness between God and his creation. And then it happened. Emmanuel. God with us. God was with us. God was with us. Jesus came into the world and he lived a life of perfect obedience, even to death on the cross. And God raised him from the dead. He defeated sin and death. And he provided a way for everyone to be restored to right relatedness with him. I love how the Apostle Paul sums up the work of Jesus on our behalf in Colossians 19, 1, 19 through 20. Listen to God's word. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Reconcile all things and making peace by the blood of his cross. God is about the work of restoring right relationship. You still with me? I hope you see it. Right, relater, right relatedness matters to God. It cost him his son. It's at the heart of his work and purpose in the world. But not only is it God's heart, but he desperately wants us to experience this grace of right relatedness. You see, the story doesn't end at the cross or even the empty tomb. It continues. Jesus goes to heaven, and what does he do? He gives us the Spirit. We have the very presence of God with us. And we have the power to maintain right relatedness with him through the gift of the Spirit. And then he gives us the church, where we get to practice 
relating rightly with each other and with God. But we all know by experience that everything is not the way it's supposed to be. You know, we can experience joy and victory in our lives. We can know the thrill of rightly relating with God and with each other for periods of time, but we all know that sin and suffering and separation still exist and they still haunt us every day. God has set things in place and has started to make all things right, but it's not the way it's supposed to be. Not yet. So what do we do? We wait for God to come. We fight sin and we suffer as we sojourn in this fallen world. And we wait some more together for Jesus to return, for God to make all things new. When it will be the way it's supposed to be, when we will be in perfect right relatedness forever. Well, I hope you caught the theme. Again, I'm going to say it. God's heart is for right relatedness between himself and his creation. He wants us to be restored to him and to each other. He doesn't just want it. He acts for it. And it cost him. And God wants us to pursue the same right relatedness with him and with others. He's provided the way and he's equipped us for the journey. It's at the heart of the good news. It's what God wants and works for every day. So I want God's heart and work towards right relatedness to be the giant backdrop for us as we jump in to our text this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus 20, verse 12. What's the immediate context here of the book of Exodus? What happened in the first 19 chapters? Well, I like to describe it as God fathering the nation of Israel. Look at how he fathers them. He he shows his power, right? He protects Israel by delivering them from Egypt, bringing them across the Red Sea. He provides for them by giving them manna and quail and water from the rock. And he offers them his presence, presence in the cloud by day and the fire by night. Just as a side, that's a beautiful picture of fatherhood, isn't it? Provision, protection, and presence. And it's in this picture of fathering the nation of Israel that he now sets up his covenant. He sets up his law. He gives his ten words. He gives his ten commands to his people. And really what he's doing is he's laying out the family rules for right relating. That's what the law is. Listen to them in terms of right relatedness. Number one, I'm your first relationship. I matter most, always. Two, don't have any other relationships before me. Nothing matters more than me. Three, speak about me like I matter to you. Four, treat me like I matter. Show me you trust me. Rest in me. God cares about right relatedness. He is saying, these are your rules for engagement with me. This is how you are to think of me and to talk of me and to live because of me. And now, looking at the fifth command, God moves and shifts to talking about how we are to live with others. And look where he goes, Exodus twenty twelve: Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord has given you. Honor your father and your mother. A little mini time out again. Why start there why not start with don't kill the sanctity of life that's pretty important life we're all made in god's image why don't we start there or why not start with the truth don't bear false witness the truth is the foundation upon which the world is based why not start with truth well i believe god starts with families because god cares about relationships 
right relatedness matters to God. And right relatedness starts in the family. Right relatedness matters to God, and right relatedness starts in the family. You see, families are the greenhouse for growing right relatedness. Families are the incubator for right thinking and living. Parents are, are really a launching pad. Their work is to send off their children into the world with the tools to relate rightly, to live wisely, to love God first, and to love others as themselves. We see the job of parents clearly in the second giving of the law in Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. And listen to this. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and it shall be as a frontlet between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. It's important that we understand this. Parents are the conduit by which children learn to love God. And out of that love for God, they will be able to love others. Parents, understand your role. Your children's first experience of God will come from what you teach them. But just importantly, it will come by how you live before them. Your actions have consequences. It's a heavy burden, and it's a great responsibility, and it's a job that never ends. Therefore, parents are to be honored. Parents relate rightly to their children by teaching them to relate rightly to God and with other people. And children in the home relate rightly to parents by honoring them. Again, it's about right relatedness. And then what happens out of this training ground of the family? People are able to go out into the world and to relate rightly to one another, making the world a better place. Again, we have to see this and understand that this fifth command is really a hinge command. It spans the gap between the four vertical commands of how we're to relate to God and the horizontal commands about how we're to relate to others. Parents, we literally stand in the gap and represent God to our children, and we show them how to relate rightly with God and people. Parents matter. So how parents are treated matters. They must be honored. Well, let's look at the specific call, this fifth word, uh, from God to his people. What exactly does it mean? Well, honor, I, I love the, the connotation of this word. It literally means to make huge. It's to make big, to give weight to. That's what honor means in this, in this verse. It, parents are to fill the horizon and take up a lot of space in their children's lives. Parents are meant to matter every day to the very end. It's also interesting that this, this call, this command, spans both covenants. We've talked a lot about how the old covenant is refracted through the cross, through the gospel. And it's, it, it changes in some ways. But this command remains pretty much the same. Because we need families until we're in heaven. It's a place of honor, not just for the old covenant. New covenant believers, we're called to do the same. And, and it's also a span that, that it's also something that lasts our whole lifetime. Honor starts in the growing years by children who live in the home by simply obeying their parents. Paul expands this in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 
2. We'll be spending some time in Ephesians 6 through the sermon, so you may want to turn there and look at that. But it says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Well, Paul is asking or commanding children to obey. And what does obey mean here in Ephesians 6? It means simply to listen under, to hear and do in a spirit of submission. Children honor their parents by sitting under their authority and doing what they're told. Children honor their parents by hearing and doing. That is obedience. But I want to encourage you, children who are in this room today, and parents too, that obedience isn't just some sort of brain-dead slavery. No, it's the opposite. It's the exercise of freedom to choose to do the right thing and then to go do it. Obedience leads to life. And no matter what the world says, listening to self and giving into sin lead to slavery and death. Children, I want you to hear this. This is not just a command to honor your parents. It's a plan to help you, to protect you, and to guide you into adulthood. And I'd like to talk to the children at home right now. If you're at home, I'd like to talk to you specifically. There is freedom and there is joy in obeying your parents. Think about it. No other people in the world care more about you than your parents. Nobody has the best interest in mind like your parents do. No other people know you better than your parents do. Nobody wants better things for your life. Listen to them. Do what they say. Follow them as they follow God. Respect them. Children, it's a recipe for freedom and joy and peace for the rest of your life. But God's word is clear. Honoring our parents doesn't just stop when children leave home. Honoring our parents never ends. So how do we honor parents in adulthood? I say we honor parents in adulthood by esteeming them and caring for them at the end. Jesus himself makes this very clear in Matthew 15, 1 through 9. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 15. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He, Jesus, answered them, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You know, of course, the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, but they were caught in their own web as usual. Jesus calls them out of the practice that's called korban. It's a practice of taking your money and pledging it to the temple so you did not have to use it for other things. It was, but the way it was being used, it was basically a, a slush fund for people to do what they wanted. And one of the things that they weren't doing was caring for their elderly parents. And look at what Jesus did. He's very clear. He said, you did not honor your parents. And what, what are the actions? What have they done? By not honoring their parents, they have voided out God's word. They have shown that their hearts are far from God and that their worship is actually in vain. 
because they do not honor their parents in their old age. Honoring our parents never stops. Well, how do we as adults honor our parents? Well, we honor our parents as adults by, by keeping them big, keeping them in a big place in our lives, and making them matter. We seek out their counsel. We're grateful for them. You know, this, this Friday night, um, I got out of bed at 11.30, and I went to pick up my freshman daughter at one of her friend's house because they get together, and when you ask what they do, they say they did nothing, but that's okay. They had a good time together, and I'm happy to do that. Well, as I was getting into the cold car um, and driving, I, I decided I was going to call my mom, and I called my mom, and she answered the phone, and, and Dad was there, and I said, I just want to say thank you to you and Dad for all the thousands of hours and thousands of miles you drove in Southern California in the mid-'80s. Because I had no idea the amount of time parents spend driving their children. And there was a soft chuckle on the other end, and my mom said to me, may your children rise up someday and call you blessed as well. (laughs) That was a silly, silly little conversation. But the idea is there. I just wanted to say thanks. I just realized, I had no idea how much time they had spent picking me up from all the practices and all the different things. And... I was grateful, and I think it meant a lot to them. So that's, that's a s- simple, easy thing we can do. But what else do we do? We should include them in our life events. And then I think most importantly, something we don't do well as the culture, and even as a church, at the very end, we do for them what they did for us as children. We provide for them, and we protect them, and we're present with them. Honoring our parents really is a lifelong commitment. I love how Proverbs 23, 22 beautifully captures this lifelong call. It says, listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother in your old age. We honor our parents by obeying them as children and esteeming them as adults. But look back at the text. There's one other thing I want you to notice, and I think it's important. It's easy for us in our culture to glance over today, but it's a pretty radical thing. Notice who is to be honored. Honor your father and your mother. God wanted the right relatedness of his people to each other and to him to stand out in the nations. They were about to go into a land and conquer it that was completely patriarchal. God wanted the world to see that right relatedness starts in the family. And it starts by honoring both parents. And that's a big deal. We've looked at how to honor, we looked at who to honor, but, but look at what happens when parents are honored. Look at the rest of the verse. That your days be belong in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Again, Paul echoes this same thing in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You see, honoring parents promotes longevity and blessing. It just makes sense, right? Family is the context for the transfer of knowledge, for wisdom to be transferred. Honoring your parents ensures that wisdom will pass from one generation to the next. But the families are also the basis for society. Honoring, families will, honoring parents will strengthen families. And what does that do? It strengthens our society. Honoring parents is a good thing. It promotes flourishing, not only of us as individuals, but of our land. Where there is right relatedness in the family, generation to generation, will be blessed. You see, by honoring parents, we're simultaneously blessing the generation that's ahead of us and the generation 
that is following. Our lives will be lengthened. Our lives will be enriched. The land will flourish. Right relatedness leads to better lives. So you want a better world for yourself and for others? Start by honoring your parents. Well, speaking of parents, I want to shift gears a little bit. And parents have been listening to me talk about how children are to honor them. But you're not off the hook. I'm not off the hook. We should never be passive recipients of honor. You know, all of the Ten Commandments have both a negative and a positive aspect that need to be followed. Don't kill is refracted into the New Testament of don't hate. But that also means that we value life and that we're to promote peace and pursue love. Don't covet your neighbor's belongings also means that we're supposed to look out for the best interests of our neighbor. So also, honoring parents implies that we as parents should strive to be honorable. But what does it mean to be honorable? Well, to start, we have to recognize our role to represent God to our children. We teach the content of the word. We start there, but we teach character with our actions. We intentionally train for godliness just as intentionally we model godliness. Again, in the New Covenant, this command in Ephesians 6, 1, Paul tells children to obey their parents in the Lord. Our children are called to obey us as we are following God and guiding them in his ways. But Paul continues in Ephesians 6, 2. He calls, he calls parents and he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see, we're called to raise our children in God's truth, but we're called to raise them with gentleness and patience while never abusing their authority in our lives. And I want to make sure we grasp this. We need to stop and understand that as New Covenant believers, this command, again, is refracted through the cross. So we're called to teach our children the whole counsel. It would be a terrible mistake, whole counsel of God, it would be a terrible mistake, parents, for us to stop at the law with our children. We must give them a gospel, a gospel that is saturated in grace. We need to teach them, and we need to show them The best place for children to get grace is in the home with their parents. Give them grace, not license, but give them grace by the truckload. Let them taste it and let them want more. Now, if you know me, maybe by seeing me, you know this. I love food. I love food so much that I have a bad relationship with it that I'm still working on by God's grace. But, But it's good. Food is good. I love food. It's culture. It's a wonderful way to explore the world. You know, God could have made everything taste like chicken breast and oatmeal, but he didn't. He made things good. It's a way we can explore his goodness and experience wonderful things. It's a wonderful thing to gather over. It's a picture of heaven that we'll be feasting. And I love to share food experiences with people. I love to do it, especially with my daughters, who don't share the same enthusiasm that I do. And they've tried a lot of things, and they've not liked a lot of things. And I've asked permission to share this, but Elizabeth, um, my, my firstborn daughter, she is the least adventurous. I'll just say it that way. But one of my favorite food stories with them was when I took them to, uh, a few years ago to dim sum. Now, if you don't know what dim sum is, come talk to me. I believe it will be the official food of heaven. It's wonderful. But I wanted them to experience this. And, and I watched Elizabeth take her first bite, and I was just watching this to see what happened. And I saw immediately 
that Elizabeth was going to have a lifelong relationship with dim sum and that she was going to want more. And it was a wonderful moment. It was a wonderful moment for me. Now, what I could have done is I could have taken her to the library and found the best dim sum cookbooks in the world. I could have taught her the history of dim sum. But no, I wanted her to experience it, to see my love for it, and to grow in her love for it. And I wanted her to want more. Now, if we can talk about something as silly as dim sum, parents, how much more should we be doing that for our children? How do we help our children to taste and see the goodness and grace of God? That is our challenge. That's what being honorable is. We need to bring them to a place where they can experience it, which means we need to be living it. We lead them to love God by loving Him with all that we have. And we help them to love God. And we help them to want more. That is the challenge we have as parents. Well, let's pause for a second. Let's remember the backdrop. God's grace-filled rescue plan to restore right relatedness will have a happily ever, happily ever after ending. It will happen. Right relatedness is our past. It's our future. We're waiting now. But God has empowered us to relate rightly with him and others today. You want to grow in your right relatedness? Start at home. Honor your father and mother. What do you need to go and do today? Well, that was the end of my first draft. It's a good place to end. But I think it wouldn't be right if we didn't address the elephant in the room. The fact of the matter is, we live in a fallen world, and all of us have been let down by our parents. Some in small ways, some in huge ways. Maybe you did not feel protected. You may not have had been provided for in some important ways. Your parents may not have been present emotionally or even physically. And when you think of your parents, you may feel sadness, and some of you may even feel rage. Parents, we all feel guilt for not being the perfect conduits of God's life-giving truth and grace. And we fail our children in both words and actions all the time. And maybe as a parent today you feel defeated, or maybe you're mourning the distance your kids are from you. What do we do with this? How do we practice right relatedness in this fallen world? How do we move past our hurt and anger? How do we move beyond our shame and guilt? Well, the first thing I want to encourage us all to do is to remember. Remember this awkward stage we live in. Give grace to people. We're all awkward. We're all unfinished. We're all imperfect. Both parents and children We've already been brought into God's kingdom, but we're not yet there. Give each other grace. And give yourself grace. Parents, I want to speak grace to you this morning. God's mercies are new every morning. You can start again right now after this service. You can start again to pursue right relatedness with your children and to, to teach them and to live for them a love for God. Children, I want to speak grace to you. Your parents have let you down. But I want to remind you that you have a Heavenly Father who's acted from the very beginning of time and is pursuing you and is caring for you. We need to remember that the Ten Commandments are to be read in light of the Gospel. And we look at this fifth word, we have to look at it through the cross. And what does the cross remind us? It reminds us that God is our Heavenly Father. 
He's a father who will never fail us, and he will never let us down. Remember, by grace, we've been brought into his family. And now, he is to be our primary source of love. He matters most. He loves best. Run to him first. You know, if we're able to do that, then we're able to relate, like, re- relate rightly to our parents. We don't have to depend on them too much for things. We don't have to shut them out of our lives. And we don't have to look, for the, look to them for that which only God can provide for us. If this is about right relatedness, how do we honor our parents when we let them down? We go to our Heavenly Father. Let Him protect you. Watch Him provide for you. Experience His presence with you. Let His power restore you. But we also have work to do. You see, we're responsible for our own actions and our own choices. And I want you to consider your earthly parents. Do you honor them right now? Do you need to make something in your relationship right? Do you need to forgive? Do you need to ask forgiveness? I would encourage you, whatever you need to do, please include your church family in helping them, helping you grow in this area. Ask your ethos community to walk with you and, and lovingly hold you accountable as you try to make things right. Children, honor your parents. Obey them when you're young. Esteem them when you're old. Parents, give your children the gospel. Stay in the Lord. Love God. Model grace. Ask forgiveness. Forgive. Be gentle and patient. Live grace. Help your children taste and see the goodness of God. Help them want more. Do it today. And all of us, may we look to our Heavenly Father for what only He can provide. May we run hard after right relatedness with God and with our families. And I promise you, God will get the glory and we'll get the joy. Let's pray. Father God, help us. Help us to honor our parents. Help us as parents to live honorably. We need your power to do it. Father, we need your grace. May we start anew this day. In Jesus' name, amen.